The following programming is sponsored by the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation. The views expressed do not necessarily reflect the views of this station, its management, or Beasley Media Group. Pro-Life, a podcast brought to you by the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation. Positively Pro-Life brings you inspirational stories, important legislative updates, and informative interviews as we restore and strengthen a culture of life. I'm Bonnie Finnerty, Education Director at the Federation, and I am joined by my esteemed colleague, Maria Gallagher, the Legislative Director. Hello, Maria. Hello, Bonnie. It's great to be with you today. Oh, it is great to be with you for today's podcast which is going to be a little bit different. We won't have an inspiration segment today or a legislative update. Rather, we'll devote our entire podcast to talking with our guest, someone that just about everyone in the pro-life movement knows about, and someone who is also well-known by those on the other side of the abortion issue. Today's Positively Pro-Life guest is Abby Johnson. Abby Johnson worked for Planned Parenthood for eight years working her way up through the ranks to become the clinic director in Bryan, Texas. She was Planned Parenthood's Employee of the Year in 2008, but she walked away from her job after witnessing the abortion of a 13-week-old fetus during an ultrasound-guided abortion. She left Planned Parenthood and instantly became a national news headline for her defection, which led to a pro-life speaking career. In 2012, she founded And Then There Were None, the only ministry in the nation that helps abortion workers leave their jobs and find new ones out of the industry. To date, she has helped over 570 abortion workers quit. She also founded Pro-Love Ministries and Loveline in the fall of 2019. Her best-selling book, Unplanned, was made into a feature film that debuted in theaters nationwide in March, 2019 under the same name. And Abby is also the host of the podcast, Politely Rude. Her new book, Fierce Mercy, was released in March, 2022. She and her husband, Doug, have eight children. It is my honor and delight to welcome Abby to Positively Pro-Life. Thank you, Abby, for being with us today. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Abby, why did you decide to write Fierce Mercy? Well, you know, I, I had written two books previously. I'd written Unplanned in 2011 and then in 2015 wrote The Walls Are Talking. You know, both of those books were really about abortion, um, really about the abortion industry and um, sort of exposés about, you know, what's taking place inside of the abortion industry. And I, you know, I wanted to sort of pick up, I guess, from unplanned and uh, what had, what had happened in my life since then, because unplanned really stopped um, eight months out of, of me leaving the industry. And so a lot had happened in my life. And, um, I wanted to, uh, you know, just talk about what God had done in, you know, in me personally. 
And, you know, it wasn't just that, you know, yes, I'd left the abortion industry and yes, I'd become pro-life, but he had done so many other things in my life. He had, um, worked in my marriage. He had, um, transformed my motherhood. I mean, I, when I left Planned Parenthood, I had one child and now I'm a mother of eight. Um, and so, you know, I wanted to talk about that and, and how that came about. I, you know, was very, um, you know, confused in my faith, um, you know, when I first left Planned Parenthood and, and then I, you know, came into the Catholic Church. So I wanted to talk a little bit about that, um, how that process took place. And, um, and, you know, I wanted just to talk about just sort of my road um, you know, just sort of that journey and how I saw God through the mistakes along that journey, through my healing journey and how, uh, I used my journey to help others. And, um, and so I just wanted people to see a more personal story of, of myself. And I think a lot of people, you know, they see me and they're like, oh yeah, there's Abby, you know, up there testifying against these, you know, <laughs> pro-abortion people, or there's Abby in the legislature, there's, you know, Abby ripping somebody a new one, you know, or whatever, but, and that's fine, you know, but I, I wanted people to see a more personal side of me and, um, and, and to really see sort of the healing that's taking place and, and, and to see that God can do that in their lives as well. Abby, I, I read the book in about three days. I think I finished it last weekend. Um, I loved it. I, I love the vulnerability and the transparency. Uh, it's just, it's a book everybody needs to read. Um, one of the things that you talk about in the book is why or what prompted you to begin and then there were none. And then some of the challenges that you faced. Can you Can you talk about that? Yeah. So, you know, I started and then there were none just because I realized that there was a gap in the pro-life movement. And, um, really I, I went to a conference, um, with a friend of mine, uh, Eduardo Brassi had asked me to speak at a conference with him. And this was pretty early on in the movement. And, uh, I, I went to speak and after I was done, I was backstage. I heard this woman screaming out my name and, um, and the security team, they were funny. They were like, Oh, don't go over there. Don't go over there. And I was like, no, this, this woman clearly like needs me to go talk to her. So I went over there and this woman just fell in my arms. And I, I thought, you know, oh, she's had an abortion. I mean, that, that was sort of my first thought, you know, and, uh, I said, you know, what's going on. And she looked up at me and said, I work at Planned Parenthood in Los Angeles. And that was, that was the first for me. That was, you know, the first person I had talked to that was actively working in an abortion clinic. And I, I, I just remember saying, well, what do you, what do you want to do? And she said, I, I want to leave. I don't want to go back. This is, this conference is on a Saturday. And, uh, I, and she said, I'm not going to go back on Monday. And so, you know, at that point in time, I thought, oh, well, okay, 
there's got to be an organization that helps people do that, you know? And, uh, and that, and that was when I realized there wasn't. And so, I mean, locally people were helping workers, but I mean, nationally there wasn't any, anybody doing that. And so I thought, okay, there, you know, there's a need here. And so really what I started doing was I started praying and saying like, okay, God, you know, please put it on somebody's heart to start a ministry for, for abortion clinic workers. Um, and so after praying that for a few months and we, we did help Annette, you know, and, uh, all this is a cool story. Her, her fiance, her boyfriend had actually taken her to hear me at this event mm-hmm. at Eduardo's event. And, um, because he wanted to ask her to marry him, but he would not ask her while she was still working at the clinic. Mm. And so he was hoping that she was, she would quit her job after listening to me. And so anyway, she did end up quitting. She went to go work for Los Angeles pregnancy services. We got her a job there with Astrid Gutierrez. Um, and they now have five children and it's just a beautiful story. Um, but anyway, and she's very involved in, in our ministry. And then there were none. But she's really, I say, she's the first quitter. I mean, she was like her, she's the reason that I got this going. But after praying this prayer for, you know, like a few months, like, God, you know, put this on somebody's heart. Um, you know, finally he was like, hey, dummy, you know, like it's you. I put it, you know, I put it on your heart to do this. So, you know, Doug and I did not know what we were doing. We did not know how to start this nonprofit or get it going, but we did. And, um, and I thought, all right, like the pro-life movement is going to be so freaking pumped that I am starting this ministry. And, um, and that was just really my naivety. And we had our first webcast. I'll never forget. We had our first webcast June 6th of 2012. And uh, I had roped in this young, freshly graduated from college student to help me do this. She's really on fire for the pro-life movement. And so we said, you know, what's, what's our goal, you know, to raise for this first, you know, webcast. And we thought, oh my gosh, we're going to easily raise a hundred thousand dollars. You know, we had this, you know, budget, we had heard all these webcasts from 40 days for life and all, they were raising hundreds of thousands of dollars on these webcasts. You know, we were super excited. So we had our webcast and we raised like I don't know, like Mm $15,000. We were super bummed. And then we started getting these messages from people just saying, you know, these people have made their beds. They can lie in it. Why would I ever want to help a former abortion worker? And, and it was so defeating for me, I think, because I was like, but that was me. You know, all these, all these people are, they're supportive of me and they're helping me, but they, they don't want to help somebody else. And, um, and I thought if I can just get them to see the, the value of the soul of the abortion clinic worker, um, that the value of that soul is just as valuable as the life of the preborn baby we're trying to save. If I can just get them to see that, 
I, I think that they'll understand why we're doing what we're doing. How have you been able to help so many former abortion workers? Because to me, it's simply miraculous how many people you've been able to help. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I think David B. Wright and I are good friends. And, you know, he says that, you know, I say all the time, like, I just, I can't believe, you know, the pro-life movement was around for so long and nobody was doing this. And he said, well, you know, I think it took you to do it. I think it took a former worker to do this. I think it took a former abortion where I don't think, you know, he's like, I don't think I could have done it. Right. It's just some random guy. I think it, it took a former abortion worker, you know, saying to these other abortion workers, hey, I, I know what it's like to be you. I know what it's like to go to work, you know, every day questioning what we're doing. Um, you know, I, I know what it's like to piece these body parts together. I know what it's like to see what you're seeing, to smell the things you're smelling, to have these sort of trauma triggers to, you know, I, and, and so he's like, you know, it's, it's all about God's timing and that, and that is truly, I mean, that is honestly true. Um, you know, we are very abortion clinic, abortion clinics. So we have the most accurate database of abortion clinics. And then there were none has the most accurate database of abortion clinics, um, in the country. And we, we keep that updated, uh, weekly. So, and we're happy to share that with any organization that needs it. It's not like, you know, and it's ours and we keep it, you know, we're, we're happy to share that with anybody who needs it. Um, but we, we keep that updated, um, you know, depending on clinics that open clinics that close, you know, whatever we send mailers into clinics so often. So an abortion clinic Every abortion clinic in the country is hearing from, and then there were none, at least once every five days. So they are getting a mailer from us, a different type of mailer, whether it's a postcard, a letter, a handwritten card, some sort of funny thing, like a puzzle they put together that says, you know, reach us at, and then there were none. Um, we did this funny little thing one time where we got these little tiny bottles, like with a cork in them. And we rolled up a little piece of paper that had our website on it. And we put that in there and send it in. Um, they are, are getting a touch point from us in the mail at least once every five days. Wow. And, and what happens with those, you know, we send Mother's Day cards in because the majority of people that work in the abortion clinics are mothers. So, you know, we're sending a Mother's Day card. We're sending Christmas gifts into the clinic. We're sending Easter candy. We're sending Valentine's Day flowers. Um, we are always sending inreaches into the facilities. I can tell you that our are like are the most effective, well, probably the two most effective um, 
campaigns that we've had inside of inside of the abortion clinics. Well, I'll say three. Uh, one, Valentine's Day flowers are very, very effective inside the abortion clinics because a lot of the women that work there have never received Valentine's flowers before. It makes them feel so valuable and so loved. And, and they'll actually put on their Facebook, we, we've seen it on Facebook before, where they've said, you know, wow, first time, we've ever, first time I've ever gotten flowers in my life. And they came from, you know, the, the anti-choice group. You know, I felt love from, and then there were none, you know, for the first time ever in my life on Valentine's Day. Um, that will trigger calls to us. We did, re- we do really funny campaigns that are like really cheesy. We did this campaign about otters. Um, like you otter leave your job, you know, you otter call us, something like that. Like if it was just pictures of little otters on the postcards, like funny things, just showing them that like, we're funny. We have a sense of humor. We're normal people, you know, um, we sent, we sent a whole year of just like otter postcards and stuff like that. Um, and then, but the most successful campaign we have, we have a dedicated team. I don't even know how many are on our team, probably, probably 50 or more now of women who we send stationary and then there were none stationary to them. And we send them a rotated list of scripts and they have access to our database and they hand write cards to every single clinic. And they do this on a rotation and they pray over them. They send them out. Those handwritten cards are the most effective in reach we have to the abortion clinics, because there's just something really special about receiving a handwritten card from someone knowing that they took the time to write it. So that's a way that we do it. Once we can get one clinic worker out, we can oftentimes get multiple clinic workers out of a clinic because they will go back to their friends and say, Hey, you know how we were getting all those otter postcards from that group? Well, they actually will help you. You know, they actually will you know, help you with transitional financial help. They actually will help you write a resume. They will help you find another job. They are really awesome people. And so that word of mouth sort of, sort of spreads. And, and even more than that, Abby, in your book, you talk about, in addition to finding a new job and, and a new network, um, you talk about the importance of re-human, you, let me say that again, rehumanizing abortion workers, um, and, and providing healing to them. So I'm wondering if you could talk about those healing retreats and perhaps even your own journey of healing. Yeah. So, I mean, when I started healing, I mean, I, I was sort of, I was like, okay, how do I do this? You know, like I, I mean, there wasn't, I didn't know like how to, how do you heal from providing over, you know, 22,000 abortions? Like I, I didn't know, you know, like there was no handbook for that. There's no, you know, Rachel's vineyard for that. There's no surrendering the secret for, for abortion clinic workers, you know? And so, um, 
I mean, I am a licensed therapist. So I just, I just sort of started like thinking like what, you know, what, what does healing look like, you know? And, uh, and you know, what does God say about forgiveness and shame and guilt? And, um, and so, you know, I just, I started sort of, uh, and I, I was, you know, I'm very close to father Frank Pavone. He had worked with a lot of, um, former abortion providers before and people who had worked in the industry. And I started talking to him. He was definitely a mentor to me. And, and so, you know, we just started, I I just started coming up with, with something to try to help myself. And I thought I, you know, I can't rehumanize 22,000 babies, right? I mean, that's not possible, but I can rehumanize one, like I can, I can pick one, you know? And so that's what I, that's what I decided to do. And so, um, you know, I chose the baby that I, you know, watched die on, on an ultrasound machine. Um, the one that really changed my life. I gave him a name. I, uh, wrote him a letter. I, um, I, uh, then I, got a plaque for him to be placed at the national Memorial for the unborn in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Um, and so then that sort of became part of our healing program that we use for, and then there were none, um, you know, people may, may want to memorialize a child in a different way. Um, I also did the same for my own two children that, that I aborted myself. Um, and so, you know, we just sort of came up with a curriculum, um, myself and then another therapist that works. And then there were none. We just sort of came up with a curriculum. Part of the curriculum though, is an admission of guilt. I mean, you can't heal from what you don't recognize that you've done. And so that's, that's sort of the hard part for a lot of the workers is, you know, really coming to terms with the sins that they've committed but once you recognize it and you write it out and you put it down and you say it, you know, um, then it's, it's out there. And when it's out there and when it's said, Satan no longer has control over it. And, and, and it's, it's really a freeing moment for them. Abby, if you had a chance to speak to the justices of the U.S. Supreme Court, what would you say? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it seems that, um, you know, it seems like they are, are primed to overturn Roe, which we're, you know, of course, all very thankful for, um, you know, I was listening to the Dobbs arguments and, um, you know, I know that you're, you're not a dummy if you, if you, make your way up to be a justice of, you know, the highest court in our, in our country. Um, you know, I would love to have a, a, a personal conversation with, you know, Sotomayor, um, or Justice Kagan and, and to say, you know, and to really challenge them on some of the intellectually dishonest arguments that were made, 
uh, during the Dobbs case, you know, Sotomayor saying that there has been no uh, maternal fetal advancement in the past 50 years. You know, I would love to show her and she knows that that's not true. She's not an idiot. Um, but I would love to, you know, challenge her in that way and challenge Kagan uh, with just some of the some of the ridiculous arguments that they have made. Um, and and for them to, to point to me, um, you know, someone who has seen the the you know, live dismemberment of a child in the womb, someone who has seen firsthand the gruesomeness and the barbarity of abortion. I, I would love for them to be able to defend to me, um, you know, what abortion really is and how it is helping women. So Abby, there is great hope and anticipation that Roe and Casey may be overturned. If that is the case, what is the pro-life movement, pro-life movement's role in a post-Roe America? Well, I mean, look, we are, <laughs> things are, are not going to get better. Okay. So nobody needs to be under the impression that, oh, Roe's overturned. So yay, we've won. Okay. Now we've gone from one battle at the Supreme Court to 50 battles. So um, things are going to be exponentially more difficult. So uh we have to be, you know, ready to fight. We have to be, you know, armed spiritually in a way that we haven't been before. I've been telling people things are about to get real biblical um, in our country. So, you know, we have got to be ready for that fight. We are we are going to war um, on behalf of our preborn children. And uh, and so, you know, we've got to be ready in our states, we've got to be involved, we've got to be prepared, we have to be um, engaged in our pro-life efforts on a state level, on a local level. The grassroots is how we are going to win this fight. Um, and so everybody needs to get plugged in and get involved. Definitely, and we have just about a minute left. And Abby, um, I was wondering if you can tell us, I, I think that you have another movie you're working on. That's just amazing. Can you tell us about I that? I do. Yeah. Yeah. I have a documentary um, that I'm working on called Unthinkable. And we are working with other former abortion clinic workers and doctors to really expose the underbelly of the abortion industry. Uh, we are talking about the brainwashing that takes place inside of the abortion industry, sort of um, the cult-like mentality that's going on in there. Just everything that the abortion industry does not want you to know, we're going to be exposing in this documentary called Unthinkable. That's just wonderful. And I, I just want to tell you how much I greatly appreciate all you have done for the pro-life movement. I mean, if there is one hero of this age for the pro-life movement, I think it's you. And you just are so inspiring. And I just want to thank you so much for appearing on our podcast. Oh, I appreciate that. Trust me, I'm, I'm not a hero. So many of you have been doing this longer than I've even been alive. I'm just honored to, to be doing the work of the Lord. And I'm really just, I'm, you know, standing on the shoulders of, of so many great people like yourself. And I just appreciate all of you so much. 
Thank you, Abby. Thank you, Abby. Thank you, you guys. Positively Pro-Life is made possible through the generous support of the members of the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation all across the Commonwealth. Thanks for joining us. And remember, there's always a reason to choose life.